Greetings and welcome to the Global Thought Podcast, brought to you by the Committee on Global Thought at Columbia University. I'm Vishaka Desai, Chair of the Committee on Global Thought and Senior Advisor for Global Affairs to the President of Columbia University. Today, we welcome a CGT member, a former chair of CGT, as we call Committee on Global Thought, um, and uh, Robert B. Lynn, Professor of Sociology at Columbia University, Professor Saskia Sassan. Saskia Sassan has been known as a sociologist par excellence, but also with interest in many different subjects. But when I think of Saskia as the author of many, many books, I always think of her vis-a-vis city as a site of global condition and global thinking as well as global action. So it is not a surprise that today we are going to work and talk to Saskia Sassan about the most recent book that she has co-edited with Mary Cutter uh, and its title, Cities at War global insecurity and urban resistance, which examines cities as sites of contemporary warfare, insecurity, and also site of agency and innovation. So Saskia, welcome to the podcast. (laughs) It's a pleasure. That you're joining us. Um, Let me start with a question. I often think of you as kind of queen of cities because (laughs) thinking of it, Everything there is to know about cities in a global space and how to think about that. Um, I, what I was surprised by with this book is that it's a new dimension of the cities that is not how I think of you. So, yeah. and, and I, I realize it's a co-edited volume, but tell me how did this idea come about to really look at city as a site of warfare on the one hand and insecurity in a more non-traditional way. And at the same time, what you talk about as a yogurt run. I love that phrase. (laughs) So so tell us the the genesis of the book and how you felt and why you felt that this was important to talk about. Well, Mary Caldor and I, Mary Caldor was really the initiator of this. She's a professor at the London School of Economics. And she asked me to join her. Now, I have been working with her. She's an old friend. We have had many conversations. It's one of those situations. And so I got really engaged by it. It's not a natural idea for me you know, to talk about war. It, it's not. But she, she enabled me and I enabled her also because, of course, went for the city's features. She went for the war features. She has done a lot of stuff on war. So we brought these two elements together and quite a few people have commented on this, you know, that it is sort of unusual. Those who do war do war and those who do cities do cities and they rarely bring in wars. But there are actually a whole bunch of wars at any moment. I mean, we, we we live through epochs that can accommodate violence of many different kinds, not, not just the robbers, that, but also elements of war. And when you think of some of the 
instruments that your average burglar has. I mean, hey, they, they, they could be in combat, combat zone, so to say, with the machinery that they have. So it is this strange moment of bringing together, you know, two worlds that one doesn't think of interact. And so it, of course, the stunning part for me in this, uh, and it was way at the start, huh, was how the, those, those, those are small cities, huh? they're smallish cities that we were working on in Eastern Europe, and how they kept connected. Now, those are, of course, cities that have long histories. They are often very old cities. They are not like our American continent cities. And so one question I have that I never really got an answer for, but maybe you have the answer for it, is was it the fact that these were very old cities, I mean, cities with long histories that have gone through all kinds of transformations of kings and queens, of robbers and bandits. You know, you know it's not New York City. It's a very different type of city. And it just struck me to what extent those deep histories of these cities actually explain partly why they kept on doing their stuff and the yogurt run, you know, the notion that okay, we have this yogurt that we sell to all kinds of places, you know, in the outskirts, why should we stop? And that's just one indication, you know, there are many other such elements so that it shows you there are two wars. There is the war of the war machine and then there is the war that local residents had to deal with, had to navigate, had to know how to, you know, survive, so to say. So I think in a way, it, it's very interesting that you're talking about how cities and wars don't come together in one breath for most people. Yeah. Partly yeah. because it seems to me that when we think cities, we think economic engine. When we yeah, think exactly. We think battlefield, as exactly. if not in the urban space. So it's like the words that connote other contexts. Yeah. And I think that one of the things that I love about the book and also your work in general is that you're always finding something that other people have not thought of. <laughs> you have written about it as the margins, things that are either at the margins or un, or not paid attention to. And so yeah. the question that you're raising is that these seem to be old cities, whether it's Baghdad, whether it is Kabul, yeah. These are old urban centers. Yeah. Is it that your hypothesis is that with cities that have had gone, have gone through many yeah. different iterations actually mm -hmm. have survival mechanism of a different sort than cities that may be very modern cities and may not have those survival mechanism, but are they enough? At yeah. what point is a tipping balance between survival mechanism, a la the yogurt run, and the incredible uh, changes that warfare in the cities brings? So what are the yeah. pros and cons that you might say are of yeah. cities that you investigate? And you might tell us about yeah. where people came from in terms of the writing of the chapters. 
Well, you, you know, the, the points you make are absolutely crucial because we have, in fact, this is just one element, huh? the, the, this little town that we worked on. There are several other projects. This is a project that had many years. And so there were also uh, uh, situations that were truly brutal on the residents. So one cannot create a fantasy really around the city being some sort of, you know, refuge. Yes, it can be a refuge, but it can also be the object for destruction. That is what they want to destroy. So the, the yogodron is this thin little element, you know, that is in there. Now, I, I think in the, in the book, we have several war zones. Some of those war zones, there is nothing cute. You know, there is no yogurt run. So it's very important that you bring this up because really the yogurt run has sort of taken over the imaginaries of many of the people who are looking at it. Let's not forget that, you know, and, and, and we, we are dealing with, with several war zones and, and, and some of them are truly seriously uh, uh, destructive. Uh, they're, they're not like this smaller town, etc., in Eastern Europe. Uh, so that's very important. However, what the Eastern European case shows is also the, the capacity for cities to enable life is one way of putting it, you know, that it's not just about the individuals, it's also about the way the structures are built, the options that exist, the water systems that are in play, you know, you name it, a lot of things are in play. So to capture that, I mean, mostly when we talk about cities and war, we have imagery of destroyed cities. Now, my question, of course, after we sort of run into some of these examples, you know, these more modest cities and how they survived, is of course, how often does it actually happen that under situations of war, uh, a city can still keep on functioning? Now, I think that varies enormously. The book actually has seven different cities, you know, and some of them are really brutal in the full sense of that word. And others are, okay, fine, you know, we're still surviving, etc. And, and so that is important to, to bring in. It's not a, no, we cannot romanticize, you know. But at the same time, the fact that we humans, we can be tough. Like the yogurt, I mean, you know, you could have thought, well, there are other foods, you know, that, no, no, if we can also have the yogurt, hell, why not? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's a spirit of the, the energy, you know, that we humans can also deploy that, that we captured a bit there. Part of it is that what, in a way, what you're suggesting is the density of the city itself actually allows for the kind of living that can go on even yeah. when devastation exactly. is also yes. so, exactly exactly that we haven't we don't quite have that sentence in our but that's a very good sentence because that's what it is right. even you know even if yes you know it, it's sort of yeah yeah i mean the thing that was interesting to me is that obviously these seven cities that you have chosen and people have written about are from, not from the industrial West. So it's not so much global North, global South, but it's really more of the non-industrialized developed yeah. um, cities. Um, yeah. Is there something about these cities that seem particularly relevant? And is there something we can learn from that that would be of help? For example, 
in the post 9-11 New York City or the post COVID New York City or London, you know, where things seem like everything is devastated. It's a different kind of warfare, obviously, yeah. different kind of insecurity. But is there something we can learn from your study of these cities that actually has something to show to the world? You know, that's a very good question. What struck me was that it's the modesty of those smaller cities mm -hmm. that was in play. And because they are modest, uh, there is a sense of, you know, you sort of begin to respect them. You begin to say, wow, they, they, they sort of, you know, have it together. Because they are modest, there are no third parties who want to come in and grab stuff. You know, it's like, it's a peculiar little moment because in the book, you know, we have some places that are truly completely brutal. Huh? Uh, it's it's uh, so so th this particular town, especially that, that had a kind of was in you know in Central Europe, uh, with traditions of a certain kind, very modest but with traditions, and so in Serbia, the town that well th there were several right yes and and um, and when I think of say say the equivalent war in Manhattan in New York. I mean, it, it would just be a completely different event. And so one, one element to extract from this is that war in cities can come in many different shapes. Yeah. And that this might be a bit of an outlier, but because, you know, it, it's not uh, Dresden, you know, completely bombed out. <coughs> so, but at the same time, this notion that maybe, say, if, if war came to something really ag aggressive and destructive would happen in Manhattan, I can imagine now, having had that experience, you know, I can imagine that we would find ways of surviving, you know, Be except if they destroyed the whole city, that's another matter, but that war, war rarely does destroy everything, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's not a nuclear warfare, but traditional kind of insecurity yeah. um, warfare kind of situation. But yeah. the reason why I ask the question is because yes. often today, um, Governor Cuomo and other people say New York doesn't die. New York will come back no matter what, because there's yeah. something about resilience in the city. Yeah. And what I was trying to understand, and that I think is interesting is what you said, and that is a unit of analysis. If the unit is a bit smaller, there is less of this outside elements coming in to do other things and that it allows you to make it manageable. But at yeah. the same time, the thing that you've also talked about is that cities have the possibility of connections beyond themselves. What is that idea in these cities that you've studied that suggests that the fluidity also helps in terms of where cities are situated. Right. Um, well, and this is a small town. We have other cities that are bigger right? because there are several cities in this project. Um, but I think there's something about the city. The city, even a modest city, it has so many elements in play. There are so many different vectors in play, so many different sources of this or of that, so many contestations that it strikes me one way of putting it. It's a space that is sort of ready 
for anything. You know, just about anything could happen. And it would not necessarily destroy, except if you drop a bomb, you know, one of the big bombs that we have nowadays. I mean, I, I, I think that, that in that sense, the city is a very peculiar space. In most wars, cities have survived. You know, this is not the rare event. No. This is the typical event. When a city has been completely destroyed, Dresden, big dramatic example, it's like a shock, you know? The same thing with, uh, with one of the cities in Japan, completely destroyed. That, those two created uh, an international sort of uproar or noticing. That is also to be recognized, you know, that, that somehow in these very long histories that some of our regions have, the cities have survived, right. you know, for good or for bad, I mean, that, those are other issues. But, but, and that I think is interesting, you know, that it is one of those complex systems that, that somehow sets limits. Now, in the case, say, of very powerful military actors, it might just be simply, it's too big, we need to spend too many bombs for what, for killing people who are not going to do anything, who knows what the logics are in play that have kept, when you think of World War I and World War II, especially of course, that have kept very powerful actors who could have really, you know, destroyed as they did in Japan, right? Well, I think that part of what you're saying is that the complexity of the system also gives it enough diversity yes. Exactly. That makes exactly. it resilient. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah. Right. There are too many different logics in play right. Right. to easily destroy it, you know, with one sort of fell. Yeah. And, and that is why. And, and it probably is also of not of interest and not worth it. Right. For the, the enemies, you know, the enemies of the other side, etc. Why bother? Why am I going to try to kill a whole city when all I want is to kill the few of the leaders? Right. You know, who knows the logics? Uh, yeah. Um, as as you go forward, and if you were to say, there were a couple of things that surprised you in this project, yeah. that collective project. Right. I see it's you and Mary and then other authors. Are there things that really were surprising to you as the person who has been kind of yeah. the scholar of cities um, yeah. that you right. think are unique? Yes. Well, I would say that, um, I would say this combination of war, you know, because when I'm working on cities, I'm not thinking war. Yeah. We are thinking criminality, murders, you name it. I mean, it's a long list. Huh? And I, who grew up in Latin America, Latin America, as you know, is one of the most violent continents when it comes to cities. I mean, it is, it's just extraordinary. Uh, it's not the United States. I always thought it was the United States. No, it is some of the Latin American countries. So, so clearly what that tells me is that the city is a condition that is very difficult to eliminate. Now, question for which I don't have a clear answer. Is it difficult to, so difficult to eliminate that those who could eliminate it sort of stay away and they can avoid it? You know, yes, I need to control this part of the city, but I don't need to destroy the whole city. I want to keep it alive. Is it partly the logic that 
you know, you have some very good buildings, why should I destroy them? I just want to move in and take over. You know, there are all these very practical moments that in the end, and sort of in the, in the texts about war, you don't look at those aspects, you know, the practicality. Well, I need a bed, I need a house, I need water systems. Why am I going to destroy it? But I really think that across, this is something that never shows up, you know, when you're reading histories of cities and war across time, it just never comes up. But to what extent is that part of the story? It's sort of practical notion that we all have. If we didn't have that practicality in us, we wouldn't be able to survive. So, you know, there, and that maybe also explains why, yes, many cities are, there are a couple of cities of ancient history that are famous for having been fully destroyed, but that was also that came with different impulses and, you know, and combat notions and I don't know what. Is it also that in this complex dense system, yeah. the human ingenuity comes to four just because there are that many more people so that survival mechanism also comes in is that yeah. part of the equation yeah yeah I, I really think you know when you give people a chance a group you know a significant number of of women men older young etc there is inevitably going to be a focus on what is happening, you know, in their surroundings where they live. And this goes way before any notion of war might emerge. They already have thought about the city, noticed things like this, don't like that, wish that that person would be killed if war comes, you know, who knows, but an extraordinary mix of elements. So that in some ways we are at home in a city, even a city threatened by war. Yeah. This notion of this is my space, I know it. Yes, I'm threatened. I mean, we have had in, in, in recent years, we have had terrible things, right, on, in, in some countries. In the, uh, so, so we cannot romanticize too much. But it is also interesting to see that very few cities have been fully destroyed. I mean, in antiquity, we have a few yeah, that were fully, but yeah. that, those were also different histories. Uh, so that I agree with what you were saying that today, you know, you know, why should I destroy everything? Right. Since I am also, you know, I can benefit from some of that, etc. Mm -hmm. And when you just get very practical, armies need cooks, <laughs> you know, armies need people who clean, who fix their boots. I mean, it's so the, the city then becomes a space, you know, where you can get all of those services done. And, and it, it is then probably also not the center for destruction, but it could also be that, huh? let's be clear. Because the survival mechanism is also strong. Is yeah, point. exactly. You've talked a little bit in the book, one of the authors have, about women and children. And I, we will end with this, but I was very interested in whether it came up as an issue, because these are people at the margins often, yeah. The cities that you yeah. study. Right. And what is the place where women both are victimized in a tremendous sense? We know that whenever there's a war, women are the ones who actually get affected the most. Yeah. And at the same time, women also have the capability of ingenuity. So describe for us: is there something about women and children in these? Yeah cities at war spaces yeah. that it is worth thinking about. 
Yeah, I think that that many women, number one, we must say that some women are warriors, eh? some women are, etc. But that is also the case, especially when they have children, that women simply experience it and look at it, at whatever is happening, the war, the aggressions, you know, the possibilities the, uh, that are just different from soldiers. Now, men can be like women, but when they're soldiers, which might be a temporary condition every day, but as soldiers, they have to conduct themselves differently. And that is often sort of overlooked and forgotten, you know, mm -hmm. that the man is both a soldier and a husband and a father. And, but as soldier, he and she, nowadays also she, have to conduct, you know, the X, Y, Z that they're meant to do. Whereas they can then also step out of that. So I would say that, yes, there is the, the flexibilities that a city offers. And then there is the fact that we can conduct, that we are many different, we play many different roles, especially men perhaps, but certainly also women, except when they have a lot of children, I guess not. But you know that we are, all of us are multiple actors in a, in a, in a daily routinized life and in a non-routinized situation, you know, when suddenly war enters. And, and that can explain a lot of issues that when people sometimes wonder, how come that man can suddenly be so nice in a situation of war? Well, because they're also that being, you know, and certainly if they have children or a partner. So the one thing about this, this was after all a little city, a, a literalish war, but that all of those elements were in play. Yes, there were soldiers. Yes, there was this. Yes, there were that. And then all the other elements in play, you know. And, and it was, of course, an occasion also that you could somehow study that a bit. You could, uh, it was not Dresden. <laughs> right. <laughs> and to, in fact, as you often say, that the things overlooked are the things that sometimes can provide new insights. Exactly. But yes. I think that what the book does is to actually provide insight and bring these two words, cities and war, yeah. in conversation with one another, yeah. the human interaction yeah. and activity that I think yeah. is so powerful. So thank you so very much. Yeah. For, it was wonderful to talk uh, with you. I hope that uh, all of our uh, listeners will enjoy it. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. À la prochaine.